Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up to the moment stats, standings, breaking news and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hey, everybody. How you doing? What's going on, Al? And we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What's up, Nate? So obviously, as we record this, we are you know, still waiting for the Yankees to get back on the field after a lost weekend. Since we have nothing to discuss, I figure, well, guys, why don't we spend this episode talking about making our kids lunch, uh, maybe some uh, doctor's appointments and running issues that we've been running into. I think, I think that's the kind of stuff that we can fill an hour with. What do you guys say? All, all very riveting content. Sounds good. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, but, but, but in reality, obviously, we do have plenty we could talk about. We have our August issue, which is nearing the end of its life cycle and we just finished our september issue as well as we roll our way through the abbreviated two-month season guys i know that we haven't been able to watch baseball this past weekend but you know since we last spoke two weeks ago the team kind of went from very much on top of the world and everything going right to oh right this is what it's like for every single player to get injured at the same time yeah it's it's a real dose of reality i mean at at you know, like you said, when everything was going right, I don't know if that was reality. You know, Aaron Judge looked like he was on pace to hit, uh, you know, 50 home runs or so in 60 games or something amazing and incredible and unrealistic like that. And the team was winning uh, at an incredible pace, but they certainly came back down to earth, as you said, John. And, and I, you know, I wonder, obviously, this is a team, unfortunately, that has dealt with an amazing number of injuries last year and, and in, in recent times, which has been such a source of frustration for the organization. Here we go again this year and this time around, but it's, it's even worse in the sense that, you know, the duration of, of these injuries or the time away from the field for these guys from a percentage standpoint is, is a heck of a lot 
you know, larger uh, in, in terms of the percentage of the season that they're going to be out or the percentage of the games that they're going to be out. And that's even more frustrating. And, you know, I, I felt like there's certainly a risk of this happening throughout baseball based on the fact that just the players' preparation uh, for the season was unlike, you know, what it was at any other time in their professional careers. Yeah, I, I found myself kind of uh, repeating the refrain in my head from last year, from 2019, which was just, you hope that they're getting these injuries out of the way, <laughs> Get it, you know, getting, the, getting off the, uh, the, the injured list now rather than in October when we really need these guys. Uh, I know that that's not exactly how it works, that there's you know, nothing that precludes them from, from getting re-injured or, or injured again later in the season. But you know, we're seeing a lot of these guys will be back before we know it. Judge is already coming back. And there's been some bright spots even throughout you know, these, these kind of tough couple of weeks. Uh, Luke Voigt obviously has been uh, a standout performer. So we all know very well how the, uh, the baseball season's full of ups and downs. And uh, Hopefully the valley wasn't too low, and now start uh, building back up. Well, it, it's funny though the way that the nature of the 2020 season kind of goes both ways in this, because on the one hand, with fewer games on the schedule, every single injury in, or every single injured list day hurts that much more. If a player misses a game, as we've kind of seen, that's missing 2.7 games. So missing even just a minimum 10 games, you kind of figure that's 27 games in a normal season. So, so so, that's one thing. On the other hand, with the way the playoffs are set up this year as just such a crapshoot where eight teams are going to make the playoffs, you kind of have to assume the Yankees are well positioned to be one of those teams, even if they're not going to be able to set the world on fire, maybe the way they were two weeks ago, or, or, or maybe they do set the world on fire, who knows? But either way, this is a year about just qualifying for the playoffs because there's no wild card game. There's no crowd. So there's really not that much difference between the top seed and the eighth seed in either league. You're playing on the road, but it's not like you're going into a hostile road environment. So, <laughs> right. you know, it, it, it kind of goes both ways in that regard. But again, like every single thing that kind of happens in 2020, and I think that this is going to be a good segue into the first story we want to talk about, which is a piece that I wrote in the upcoming September issue about what baseball games look like in 2020. Everything that happens in 2020 has that two-sided aspect to it. And case in point here, on the one hand, for transparency's sake, we're recording this on Tuesday, Garrett Cole is scheduled to pitch tonight. I think I just saw a tweet from Lindsay Adler that because of all the delays and all, all the rainouts and postponements and things like that. Garrett Cole is pitching tonight for the seventh time in the Yankees 25th game, which would be a 43 start rate in a normal season instead of like a 35 start rate. So that's amazing on the one hand, on the other hand, say goodbye to any of those days off and everything like that, because this goes live on Thursday and the Yankees are off. The only other off day on the schedule right now for the Yankees until the end of the season is I believe September 14th. Is that right? Yeah, September 14th. So there's one more day. And a lot of these are double headers, seven inning double headers, sure. But forget about Garrett Cole pitching more than you'd expect him to. I don't know how they're going to keep up with all this stuff moving forward just because of how many games they have to play. So it's like I said, baseball gives you one part of it. And then the other part of it is just, oh, right. I don't know how we're going to do any of this. Yeah, it's, it's that, you know, you almost think it's it's like that one game at a time approach or one day at a time approach, which is so cliche. But if ever that kind of theory or mentality or strategy applied, it's this year. You know, you literally you can't look too far ahead. 
you just hope every day is a victory. And when I say victory, I don't even mean literally a victory on the field. I mean, getting through that day and getting to the next day and keeping the season going. I mean, that's the kind of the uniqueness, I think, and the, uh, the unique challenge of this season. Yeah, it's uh, going to be all hands on deck. It's, uh, you know, we're going to see some, some starts from, from guys who are not normally part of the, uh, the five-man rotation, I think. And, uh, but there's a lot, of, a lot of quality arms on the team. So but it's going to be anything but ordinary, right, John? That's the second way we were talking about it. That is the story that I have coming out in the September issue. It is part two, as we're calling it, of my fly-on-the-wall look at 2020 baseball and and just how nothing is normal and nothing makes sense and nothing is as we are used to it. I think uh, if the folks listening to this podcast subscribe and they have their August issue, they, they saw the first part in what we didn't necessarily plan on becoming a series, but it just sort of naturally evolved that way. And uh, the piece you wrote for September, John, is really similar in that it's just a really interesting kind of behind the scenes look at everything that that goes into making Yankees baseball happen in 2020. Thanks, Nate. And I think my goal, in a sense, was to look at what we don't have in 2020, by which I mean we don't have real access to the players outside of Zoom calls where hopefully you get you know a guy that you're interested in and hopefully you can get a question in and you're definitely not going to get a follow-up question in and, and all these things. So... I think for me, at least, my perspective on this year was if I didn't already have it in the can, I probably wasn't going to get a truly insightful look at a player and that player's process and that player's thought process about anything. And this started during the hiatus when we were just waiting. I started trying to kind of look at what I could see and what I was in a unique position to see. Mm-hmm. And, and, and But what I mean is I want to figure out just kind of you know, so I have access to the stadium. I have access to the press box. That is a unique thing this year to have access to the stadium. So what does it look like to be in the stadium? I wanted to talk to the people who have that access, not just the players, but I want to talk to Michael Kay and Paul O'Neill, who has no access and, and, and is doing a weird bit of broadcasting for the Yes Network. So really, all, my goal was to look at all the different things about baseball in 2020 that aren't normal and how they are being handled to make them seem as normal as possible. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting piece. Um, and I think in a way, John, it, you're really documenting, you know, baseball history because, you know, if you look back at all the seasons that you, me, or, or Nathan have watched in our lives, and, you know, that goes back a couple of decades. And if you then take it a generation further um, you know, with our parents or our grandparents, it, there, there's never been a season really quite like this. It, it's really a documentation of history. Uh, and, I, and I think it's a really interesting piece because for so many people, the access that we normally took for granted being in the stadium and, and you know, kind of painting a picture of what that scene looks like wasn't nearly as special as it is now. But now there's you know, no real eyeballs in, in that building in terms of our readership or, or just our whole fan base. So I, I think it lends itself to, to something, as you said, that's probably as unique as anything that we can do this year. Well, Al, the thing is, really, I can't necessarily say that this was intentional when I started this, but what, what you're hitting on is exactly what I've been trying to do a lot of times as we've been going through 
everything weird in the world right now, by which I mean everything in the world right now, you <laughs> kind of, or at least I kind of constantly find myself wondering, man, what was this like in the Great Depression? Or what was this like during the flu pandemic in 1918? Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard because there you can't just kind of Google, you know, the story in real time that documented how weird things like, uh, this is a weird example I know, but like the Jewish high holidays were in 1918. You know, something that's kind of on my mind right now is we're preparing for this year in this socially distant gathering, whatever that means. Yeah. So like what were weddings like in 1918? You can't really, mm-hmm. it's, it's not that easy to find. I'm kind of mm-hmm. hoping in a sense that what I'm trying to do is create a primary source in a sense of this is what it actually looked like in 2020. The most specific thing, like what did how did baseball get through the global pandemic of 2020? Well, here you go. Here is <laughs> that exact question answered. I think. Yeah, and and I think it's you know as interesting as this is to read now, <laughs> I can only imagine, and obviously with the hope and you know and prayer that uh, the world will return to what it was and continue and stay that way for a long period of time. I, I, I would love to be around in, in 40 or 50 years and share this article with someone who didn't live through this, because it would be absolutely fascinating for that person who hopefully will have grown up and lived their whole life, never, never having seen anything like this, never having seen, you know, major league baseball and, and all the major sports being played in front of no people, you know, no fans at, at stadiums and, people in, you know, every facet of, of our country wearing masks and things like that. Like, I mean, can you imagine what, how interesting that would be for them and what their reaction would be? I think they'd probably also be interested in storytelling that's longer than 280 characters, but hey, you know, we can dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's so many different perspectives in this story. I mean, you talk to, you know, every from players to producers to you know, the, the guy who controls the scoreboard at Yankee Stadium for these uh, fanless games. It's just a really kind of wide angle view of, of everything that goes into it. And, you know, you sprinkle in a lot of great little nuggets, just little bits of, and pieces of, of information that uh, even I was unaware of until I read the story. Um, you know, things like about the audio and where it comes from that they play over to, you know, the crab noise that they pipe in. So, um, I, I think readers are really going to, if they enjoyed the, the, the piece you, uh, you wrote for the August issue, they're going to love this one uh, just as much, if not more, John. It, it's something that I'm having a lot of fun with because I, I'm not a baseball player. I'm not a great baseball mind by any means. But I do think that usually when I write stories, I try to develop at least, whether through research or through a lot of conversations, a level of expertise in what I'm talking about. And I think that kind of my point with this right now is that I'm not an expert in this. And what these stories have been so far, the August one and the September one, and who knows how far we go with this, is just my trying to watch the game as much as possible and ask every question I can think of about what makes it different. And rather than try to explain too much or synthesize too much, just really present what the answers are. So how does Paul O'Neill handle a rain delay? I asked him, well, he goes upstairs and watches a movie with his wife and he gets a text message from his producer saying, we're going to be back in 10 minutes. So he goes downstairs. He puts away the ice cream and goes downstairs. Things like that. I'm not writing a bio of Paul O'Neill. I'm not writing a profile of Michael Kay. And I'm just trying to answer as many small, silly, maybe silly, but what I think are interesting questions as possible. 
I'm not trying to gussy it up too much and make it too pretty and, and, and all these things. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say this is my best writing of my time at Yankees Magazine. I really just am hoping that I'm kind of presenting, here's what this looks like. And it's weird. And it's going to, it's weird for everyone. Believe me, it's not just weird for you. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job of it. And uh, I'm sure many readers agree. So be sure that, uh, to check out anything but ordinary in the September issue of Yankees Magazine, everybody. For sure. We'll have that online soon too. But guys, why don't we take a quick break here because we let's we get to have some fun right now. And obviously we've referenced this a few times on the podcast already, but this is a very special year for Yankees Magazine, which we certainly hoped to celebrate with more of you in different ways than we have been able to. But it's the 40th anniversary of Yankees Magazine. So when we come back, we are both going to chat a little bit about some of our favorite things that we've seen in the last decade of Yankees Magazine, some of the stuff that we put in the September issue highlighting that last decade. And if you stick with us, we are also going to have some audio from an upcoming episode of Deep to Left with the Bucky Dent podcast with the first cover subject of Yankees Magazine from 40 years ago. So stick with us. Hi, this is Clark Schmidt. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast, and I feel like we have to figure out a way to throw the party for Yankees Magazine that we hoped this whole season would be, but, you know, let me let me just say, you know, happy birthday to Yankees Magazine, 40, 40 years, that's quite a run for a publication, and I hate to say it, it, it feels even more so now as we see what's happening to a lot of media entities around the country. It's really special to, to, to know that we're, we're still going, and we're still doing it, even uh, with all the challenges this year threw at us. I agree. It's something where I started to think about this anniversary a little bit more over the last couple of days, knowing we we're going to be talking about it today. And, you know, I started to kind of think about how special it really is. I see that, you know, we have this great quote in, in the magazine from the, the first cover sub- subject, Rick Cerrone, you know, who talked about when he found out that he was on the cover of Yankees magazine, he didn't really appreciate it that much. Because he didn't even think there was going to be a second issue. Well, there's been 40 years worth of issues for a publication. And, you know, and, and I can say this as a tribute certainly to the people who are on board now and who've been on board, you know, in recent times. The magazine has only gotten better. It's only gotten to be uh, to include more exclusive content and more, you know, content that, you know, really delves deeper into the lives of, of our players and does things that really other team publications, for the most part, have never done and don't do. And, and clearly, um, I talk about this with tremendous pride because I've been a part of it since, you know, year 24, I guess. So it, it's been a while for me. John and Nathan, you guys have made this publication, you know, as special as it is, certainly over the last 10 years. And, you know, it, it was really, really fun to put these, these features together, the celebratory section um, in the September issue of Yankees magazine. 
and just have the opportunity to recollect on all the great stories that I've been able to do and then read, read back all the stories that you guys have been able to do. And we have this great photo essay and it's really special. It's a really, really special thing. So many different words come to mind when I, I think about, you know, we kind of the last 10 years and all that we've had the privilege to do. And I feel the same way, Al, just looking back through these photos and being reminded of the stories we wrote and the, the trips we've been on and feedback that we've gotten from readers about these stories. We have readers who have been with us uh, since almost the very beginning. You know, there's, we get letters and emails from people who have been reading Yankees magazine since the 80s. And, um, you know, they're, they're certainly appreciative of, of everything that we've, we've been able to do these last 10 years uh, as well. So, um, you know, I think these two articles uh, that are in the September issue are just really, uh, if you have been a longtime reader, are going to jog your memory and remind you of a lot of fun pieces that have run in Yankees magazine. And one thing that I really love about the September issue is, obviously, if you look at uh, a, a newsstand in general, a magazine celebrating a milestone such as its 40th anniversary is often going to be very blatantly self-congratulatory, uh, you know, probably devote its entire cover in some ways to that anniversary. And, and the fact is, we, we weren't going to do that. We couldn't do that. We've had too few issues this year to not put a Yankees player on the cover of our magazine. But I do have to say, and, and maybe I'm spoiling a little bit of what the September issue is a couple of days before it comes out. But one thing I love about this issue is that the guy who is on our cover, DJ LeMayhew, you just feel like he's a guy who could have been on the cover of any one of those 40 years of Yankees magazines. You know, he just feels so timeless in a sense. Yeah, I mean, DJ's the type of player, he, he could have played on any Yankees team in any era. And yeah, I mean, all around, the, the cover as a whole of the September issue is just, uh, I think we were all, it was one of those smooth ones. We all took like one look at it and we're like, oh yeah, that, that's, that'll work. I mean, we, there was a couple little tweaks and, you know, we always play with the fonts and the, you know, where we put things on the page and stuff, but like the overall concept and design was one that we were all uh, really excited about right off the bat. John, you're right. It, we, you know, there were too few issues this year to put this, you know, this celebration above, you know, our great players. And, and what's so great about this team is it's such a star-studded group of, of so many stars. And, Nate, I'll just piggyback on what you said. This photo of DJ LeMayhew, him wearing the, the famous Yankees pinstripes with a pinstripe background it's something we've never done in 40 years, and it's one of the best we've done in over the time of, of 40 years. So I'm going to put you guys both on the spot here then, and maybe I should have warned you beforehand, but guys, we, we fly without a net here at uh, Yankees Magazine. We have for 40 years. So I want, I want, I'd love it if both of you could tell me your first feature story that you wrote for Yankees Magazine, and then separately, or maybe not separately if you're lucky enough, uh, your favorite one. Uh, I, I love this, John. You're not putting me on the spot because I love reminiscing about the stories that I've written. Um, the first story that I ever wrote for Yankees Magazine was in April of 2003, um, and it was a feature on Roger Clements. And it was the first real long-form interview I had done for the Yankees. I had done you know, similar interviews the previous year working for the Miami Dolphins. But Roger, at that point, was probably the most high-profile athlete 
you know, that I ever really was, was going to be sitting down with. He and I kind of agreed it was going to be on a Sunday morning. I think he had pitched on Saturday or something like that. And we were going to sit down in the, in the Yankees clubhouse for a little bit of time. And I remember kind of being nervous that morning and, and like, boy, this is, this is a big interview for somebody who is, you know, just kind of very new to the industry and all this stuff. And I remember, you know, walking up to his locker and he sees me, you know, kind of sees me coming basically. And, um, walks a couple feet away to where there's a, where there's an empty locker and grabs a chair and brings it next to his chair next to his locker. And, you know, that kind of calmed me down so much because he was literally like doing the dirty work, uh, you know, arranging the chairs for where we were going to sit. And we spoke for like 45 minutes, maybe even longer. And, you know, the butterflies and the, the, the nervousness that I had was gone within a couple of seconds. And it was, it was absolutely thrilling. So that was my first story. It's very, very hard to identify what my favorite story is because I, I, I'm just going to glaze over a couple of them. I, I'm literally, I think it's impossible for me to, to truly just pick one. I've done a series of interviews with two players at the, at the same time, like two different types of legendary players, some from different sports. And I spoke about them, excuse me, I wrote about them in the, in the Yankees magazine at 40 feature. And, and some of those kind of became some of the more favorite interviews and, and favorite story features that I've put together. Um, you know, sitting down with Derek Jeter and Ernie Banks is a thrill in Wrigley Field is a thrill of a lifetime. You know, getting together with Alex Rodriguez and his childhood hero, who was also my childhood hero, Dan Marino, in the Dolphins Stadium was a thrill unlike, you know, unlike any other for for me. And Cal Ripken and Mariano Rivera. And those are are really special to me. But the the one that stands out the most of, of those you know, hometown type stories was a day that I spent with Joe Torre in Brooklyn. And it, and the reason why was it was, it was the first time for him that he was in his childhood home, really recollecting about the struggles of his childhood, which included, you know, being around an abusive father. And he was literally sitting on, I think the same couch that was there when he was a child talking about those moments and how they shaped his life and, and how he had to overcome those moments. That's awesome stuff. Nate, your turn. So I believe my first feature was in 2008. And if I recall correctly, it was the first time the Yankees were playing in Pittsburgh since game seven of the 1960 World Series. So it really was like a combination of two of my favorite types of stories. It was a travel story that I went to Pittsburgh for by myself. I think I even took the pictures myself and a historical piece because I did all this digging and, you know, spoke to, you know, spoke on the phone to some of the players involved in that game and, you know, did my research beforehand. So when I got to Pittsburgh, I was able to visit, like, I think there was like a plaque noting where Mazeroski's home run landed or something like that. So that was my first one. And that was certainly a great, like, introduction to what Yankees Magazine is all about. You know, it was just like this awesome opportunity to go to a really cool place and write a really great story about it. And I was off and running from there. My favorite one actually wasn't a player, it was a coach. Probably about three years ago, a Yankees team photographer, Jim Petrozello, and I spent a very cold day in Ontario, 
Canada in January with uh, Rob Thompson, who was, uh, you know, the Yankees bench coach at the time. Uh, he's currently Joe Girardi's bench coach again in Philadelphia. Um, but Rob had spent, you know, nearly 30 years in the Yankees organization. And I don't think Yankees magazine had ever really done anything too in-depth on him at all. So uh, we just reached out to him to see if he'd be willing to kind of show us around the, the neighborhood where he grew up. And even, you know, he was still living in Ontario during the off seasons. Prior to that story, I had maybe had a couple brief conversations with Rob for other stories, but, you know, we certainly didn't know each other really at all. And uh, it was just such a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it was, you know, by the end of the day, uh, you felt like you were just hanging out with somebody who became a friend. I mean, we still like, you know, we'll text each other every now and then. And, and the story that came out of it and the photos that came with it, it was really, really memorable. And I, I have a lot of days like that in my memory bank from working on this magazine, but that one was pretty special. Those are some great examples so far. I will go. I'm a, uh... My first story, I think it will not surprise anyone, particularly Nate. I'm pretty sure that I was sent to do it as something like, you know, a 250 to 500 word community piece. And I ended up turning it into something like a 2,500 word feature. But it was right around Jackie Robinson Day. So around April 15th of my first season with the Yankees, which was 2014. The Yankees were the hosts of a diverse business practices conference for MLB in Manhattan. And I went down there to cover that and kind of tell about how the Yankees handle outreach, things like that, and how to have they try to build a portfolio of vendors and other such partners that is diverse. And that is, you know, comes from a lot of different markets and things like that. And it was a strange feature in a sense, because I, I it wasn't about baseball. I don't think I quoted a single baseball player, maybe one. Um, it's, I guess in a lot, a lot of ways, it's like writing about baseball in 2020. But it was very, to me, indicative of what I would come to learn Yankees Magazine was, which was that we, we never, you know, put ourselves into just one box of what a baseball story in a baseball magazine is supposed to look like. And I was proud of that story. I was proud of the, the, the different things that I got to tell, the way I got to craft it, and the way the freedom I had to, as I've said, just kind of really go away from the field. And I've really, God, over my seven years or whatever, I've tried as often as hard as possible to write those stories that are not totally on the field. And to answer myself, my, my own second question, uh, you know, it, it's a little hard, obviously, like everyone else. A lot of these are my babies in some ways. And I think that on any given day, I would answer it differently. At different times, I've certainly brought up a piece I wrote about Esteban Florial, which I was very pleased with. A piece I wrote about Danny Burrell, which was among the most fun I've ever had. A piece I wrote about Gary Sanchez or Clint Frazier, where I was proud of being able to show them in a different light, I think, than most people see them. But for some reason, I don't know what, what it is, whether it's just today or what, but the, the story that comes to my mind today is one that I did, I believe, in January of 2017, where I spent two days in Arizona with Jacoby Ellsbury, one of them at a baseball camp that he ran for Native American youths in Arizona. Obviously, Jacoby Ellsbury was the first known player of Navajo descent to reach the major leagues. And that was something that was always very important to him. And around the time that I met with him while I was out in Arizona, I also, also with Jim Petrozello, who I love traveling with as much as you do, Nate, we drove the three some hours to essentially the California border to the reservation where 
the Ellsbury family or really the McCabe family because it's on his mother's side where they're royalty uh, literally um, his mother designed the flag for the tribe that they came from and I got to speak to just a lot of random people you know some of them just on the bleachers at a little league field one of them in a pizza hut I kind of put out feelers to everybody along the way let me suggest anyone who might be able to help me tell the story of this tribe and what Ellsbury means to them and what they mean to Ellsbury. And, you know, one of the highlights was the the tribe, which is the Colorado River Indian tribes. It's actually a collection of four tribes. Uh, I went into their municipal office or whatever you want to call it for lack of a better word, where I got like about an hour and a half long presentation from tribal historians about everything. And look, I, I don't need to sugarcoat this. These are not happy stories. A lot of them. Um, these are stories of incredible hardship and, often overcoming terrible things that have happened to them or that we've done to them, if you want to be more blunt about it. And, you know, I, I don't want to by any means give off the impression that the stories were told, you know, in a happy-go-lucky positive spin on this these hardships. They were very difficult to listen to. But I really felt like it just, I, I know that a lot of my job is to try to explain who these people really are deep down, that they're not just the back of their baseball card. And I know that Jacoby Ellsbury is not the favorite player for a lot of Yankees fans out there. And I'm sure Jacoby Ellsbury knows that too. But the fact of the matter is there is a large group of people for whom Jacoby Ellsbury is not only their favorite player ever, but is such an inspiration and such a, a demonstration of what can be possible that it is just every so often I'll go back to that piece. And it is just so gratifying to have been able to tell that story and Jacoby Ellsbury is not an easy guy to interview. He is not the most accommodating person with this stuff. He's very, he is, I assume he still is. I haven't seen him in years. Very shy and very not necessarily happy to let you inside too much. But I know and I heard that it was meaningful for him to have this story told. And, you know, that was really meaningful to me as well. I think you guys, obviously, your work is tremendous and it's been for such a long time and you've carried this great tradition of Yankees magazine that we really started not 40 years ago but much more recently of really showing our players in a, in a vastly vastly different light from the way that they're shown anywhere else we have this great niche where we're able to have the the, the access and then make the most of it the way that you did John with Jacoby Ellsbury the way that you did with Rob Thompson and to me what you guys just spoke about really illustrates the way that we, you know, show our players and, and our coaches and our, our great Yankees in a completely, completely different light. And, and it's, it makes me very proud to hear you guys talk the way that, that you are and describe the, the things that you just described. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I mean, the, these, to me, you know, I think I say this in, in the article in the September magazine, in my personal opinion, like my favorite type of sports writing that I like to read is not necessarily about games or, or statistical analyses or anything like that. It's about the people, you know, it's about the people that put on the uniform and right. just, you know, all the work that it took to get there and the things that they carry with them every day when they, when they put on that uniform, uh, those to me are the most compelling stories. And to have the opportunity to write those about New York Yankees uh, is pretty cool. <laughs> There's not a lot of those type of stories out there. You know, there's a tremendous saturation these days. I mean, you can, you know, read about Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, or 
any of our current players, you can read a million stories about them, but how many are you going to read that are like the ones that I described or like the ones that you guys described? There's, a, there's, there's not many, if, if any at all. And I think that's what, what also um, makes these stories so special. And, and, and Al, you took the words out of my mouth though, because one thing, Obviously, look, you know, Sports Illustrated or the Corpse of Sports Illustrated, whatever. But, you know, there are sports magazines and sports websites that will do big takeout articles on on these guys. But if you're going to read, you know, a real in-depth personal profile back in a hometown with, let's just say, use an example of Luis Severino, that's going to be negotiated within an inch of its life by Severino's agent in, in mm-hmm. a lot of senses. And it's what the writer's going to go there is being told this is the story we want to tell this is the angle you know well look he's willing to pose for some photos for you and do this stuff and you know in exchange this is the story and and you know we're lucky that that's not the way we need to approach this stuff that it you know we're, we're able to get some time at Luis Severino's house without having to make do the interview on essentially like a you know a pre-approved level of topics and things like that and, and <laughs> it's funny it just made me think of and we'll wrap it up pretty much from here. But on the topic of Jacoby Ellsbury, I'll always remember the first cover story that I did for Yankees Magazine actually was about Jacoby Ellsbury. I think it might have been my second Yankees Magazine feature. And one thing that I found so funny about it was sitting in the edit meeting for this. It was probably only my you know third story meeting that I had after joining the Yankees. And I don't remember how it happened. I don't know how I left the room, but I kind of left the room in a daze realizing that I had just been assigned a cover story on Jacoby Ellsbury, but with no more real detail than that. It was just write a cover story on Jacoby Ellsbury. And I remember as we left the conference room, Nate, you and I were walking back to our desks and I just looked at you and I'm like, so what do you think? Like, what kind of angle? Like, what should I write for this? And you said, I don't know, just write a cover story on Jacoby Ellsbury. And <laughs> it wasn't necessarily the most helpful response, but, but, but in other ways, no, in other ways, it really is kind of like the perfect example of how we do it. Like we don't go into this thing with just, this is the story that has to be told. This is the obvious thing. So this is what we're going to do. You know, literally the assignment was figure out a cover story to write about Jacoby Ellsbury. And I think if I remember correctly, I wrote about specific stolen bases in his career and how they told a, a bigger picture, but I loved that. There, there, there wasn't this sense as we left that meeting that, you know, here's the story you need to write, John. Go and write this story. It was, John, you're a creative guy. Go find a story to write about him. And I think if I can turn the page here, and I apologize for taking the last word there, I do think that that is what has made Yankees Magazine special for as long as I've been there. But going through the archives, I see that dating back a long way. So Nate and Al, I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. But as as promised, let's give a little taste to listeners of what they can expect on the next episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, because the guest for the upcoming episode, which will be available on Tuesday, is Rick Cerrone, who, as we mentioned, is the first ever cover star of Yankees Magazine. So we'll play a little bit of that interview. But in the meantime, Nate, Al, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. So he's the first one on the 40th year? They were trying to sell magazines. Come on. Oh, my God. They didn't want some old married guy on it. They wanted a young, (laughs) vibrant, sexy Italian on there. You were a – I knew you were a stud muffin when we got you over there with all that hair. (laughs) Uh, What do you – Rick, I'm curious. What do you remember about that? I, I, you, you, we have a funny line from you in the story itself where you said you didn't really care about it because you weren't sure there was going to be a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I didn't know if there was going to be a second issue for me, but not for the magazine. But yeah, that, that's a good, I like that. Look. No, I think it's a great quote. I love that quote. Come on, give, give, give me a sense. How, how many magazine covers do you think you had in your career? You know, I have one in my my scrapbook. It's great. It was a piece of paper that folded four ways, and it was like you unfolded a paper. It was like a newspaper back. You know, yeah. It, it, it wasn't quite the robust uh, publication that we uh, put out today. It wasn't filled with advertisers on every other page and, you know, six advertisers per page. No, it was stories about the Yankees and it wasn't about generating huge revenues. It was about getting to know the players. So it wasn't one of the, you know, ones like today where they're all fancy smancy. I don't even remember the Yankee magazine back then, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I remember it clearly because I was on the cover and it was folded. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was, they really did a great job, but it was more getting to know the insides of the player a little bit. They did a lot about talking about me from Newark and my, my college background. And, and, you know, there was my mug on the, the cover. It was nice. So for our, for our younger uh, audience, a magazine is something that used to come out. It was, uh, you know, there were a lot of pages in there. It was more than 280 characters. Uh, there were all these words and pictures and things like that. It was pretty interesting. You, you should head to a newsstand soon and check one out. Yeah, you actually had to read read it. It's a huge program. It's a it's something that everybody wants and have a copy of it because it, it gives them all the players, all the the coaching staff, all the advertisers. Back, you know, it was a lot different back then. Things were a lot different back then. But at the same time, I always do say the thing with the Yankees magazine is, I, I dare you to try to find a cheaper souvenir at a baseball stadium these days than uh, the game day program. <laughs> that's true that's true coke costs more than that yeah. basically yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah and a hat costs about five times as much as that and but it's it's true and rick we had a good time you know 10 years ago which i can't believe it's 10 years ago now celebrating the 30th anniversary of yankees magazine where we did a big story with you that i actually wrote and you know kind of got caught up on your life uh kind of in the 30 years from the time you were on the first cover of Yankees magazine until Yankees magazine turned 30. Of course, now we're at 40. You're back in the magazine. We're on the Yankees magazine podcast network now. You know, that was so much fun going back to your roots that day, Rick, where we were in, in Newark. We went to your high school. We went to some of your favorite hangouts. Kind of take us back, if you would, just to your journey from Newark, New Jersey to the Bronx, New York. Yeah, actually, Al, the thing, the, the, you know, that was with, I was with my high school football coach, Bob Tagliari. Actually, I just spoke to him today. He turned 81. Wow. Um, I, I still very close with him. My, my sh captain and shortstop at the time, Rico Bellini, who was our, uh, at Seton Hall University. We also talked a lot about the Newark Bears. And I mean, I've had a, um, a very interesting career outside of baseball. And I, I'm very proud of that. Um, keep going. I mean, you're talking to me again 40 years later after being on the first cover because I always felt and I still feel today that baseball is just a small part of our life. I, I was lucky to get my degree on time at Seton Hall University in 1976, even though I was in the big leagues in 75 as a junior. And they always said, well, what are you going to do with that de degree? And you know what? I use it every day whether it's my sports marketing company that I had or a real estate company or mortgage company, or now I'm involved in the sportsgrid.com, you know, the 24 hours uh, sports gambling network. 
It's on every, you can find it everywhere now. A couple of years ago, it was hard to find, but now we're on every single Roku, Zulu, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're on it. And, and I just keep evolving. And you have to, because you know what? I'm 66 years old now, Buck, and, and and you know what? We're not we're not quitting. We're not. We still got a lot of life to live, and and a lot of fun because I always believe you have to have fun in whatever you do. My father taught me a long time ago. You know, he worked in the post office 38 years, and he he basically said, "Listen, I hate going to work every day. Just don't be like me." He did not enjoy being a postman and running the station. It just was, it wasn't, and he only made $16,000 was the most he ever made. So the one lesson he taught was make sure you have fun every day and enjoy going to work or whatever you're doing. And I've yeah, been blessed. And that time, you know what? I'm still very close with those guys, Al. Ten mm -hmm. years ago, I'll be close to them until the day I die. So a lot of great memories. As I mentioned, you can catch the rest of that episode of the Deep to Left with Bucky Dent podcast when it becomes available on this coming Tuesday. I hope you'll check it out. I hope you'll also go back through the archives of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, whether by going to yankees.com slash podcast and finding individual episodes or wherever you get your podcasts, but really hopefully by subscribing, liking, rating, reviewing. In addition to Rick Cerrone this coming week, we've had so many great episodes. We've had guys like David Cohn. We've had Willie Randolph. We've had Mike Torres. We've had Cal Ripken Jr. So if you're not already subscribed, what are you waiting for? You can even send us your thoughts over email to podcast at yankees.com. For Yankees Magazine subscribers, the September issue will be to you before you know it because we are into the last month of the regular season. So if you're still wondering, we're going to fulfill every issue of your current subscription. So despite the hiatus, despite the months we lost, you will get the number of issues that you had coming to you. But we hope that you'll also consider subscribing to another year or gifting a subscription. Anything like that really helps us. You can call 800-GO-YANKS or head over to yankees.com slash publications for more information. Plus, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine including one we just put up on Hank Steinbrenner, the member of the Steinbrenner family and member of the Yankees ownership group who passed away earlier this year. It's a really wonderful piece by Nathan McAborski that I hope you'll check out. We're also on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.